We had joked together uh, a couple of Sundays ago about our last two revivals had ice storms and we were anticipating some crazy weather event uh, preventing this revival. Let me just tell you, last Saturday, a week ago, uh, things got very real and we almost did not have revival. As I went to the airport to pick up Dr. John Oswalt, I walked there, and as he was coming out of the gate, he was walking side by side with another gentleman. The gentleman's about 6'2", 6'3", about 280 pounds. And as they got closer, these two, the only two guys in the hall just coming towards me, and I came to realize that's the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, <laughs> the most evil professional wrestler in the 1980s and 1990s. This is how bad he was and how people were so terrified of him. Just an example, my cousin played on like an 8-year-old soccer team, and they, they had the best player in the league on their team. And when the game started one Saturday, they said, all right, here we go, ready to go. And that kid said, not playing today, coach. And the coach says, what do you mean you're not playing? I'm not, I'm not going to play today. You're going to get out there and play. You're not only the best player on our team, you're the best player in the league. Go show your stuff. Not playing today. Why? Because the million-dollar man's over there, and he might get me. He was there watching his son play. So they literally, my aunt told me, they literally had to pull all the teams together. I'm the million-dollar man. I'm not going to attack anybody or put anybody in a sleeper hold. So here he comes down the hallway. Now I'm thinking first in my heart, oh, no. John's turned to the dark side, and he's now a tag team partner of Ted. But then I started thinking, what if Ted has been sent by the devil to take down? So anyway, it was a tense time getting luggage, but we made, we made it through. And this is how sanctified John Oswald is. He said, do you realize you were standing by Ted DiBiase? He said, who's that? So anyway, uh, all right. Well, here's what we're doing over these weeks. We're still walking to the cross. It's that Lenten season where we're doing self-examination, asking those questions. Lord, what about my life? What about my heart? What about my mind? What about my practices? But also saying, what, what do these witnesses of the cross say to us about Jesus? So two weeks ago, we looked at the women who were there with Jesus as he walked to the cross and as he died and after he died. What, what do they tell us about Jesus or who is our king? Uh, but also, what do, they, what do they tell us about who we are? So here we get Mary's story. So first and foremost, what is it about Jesus? If you're following along in your notes, I didn't give you notes for Jesus, but, but let me give you three words, and the first, the first of those words would be priority. What does is, what is Mary tell us of the priority of the Son of God? Now, she couldn't fully understand that Jesus Christ had come to be Lamb of God for us, but what she could understand is this is the Son of God. She could testify and know very well that this child is, is not of this world, that God has gifted me this child, knowing that this is the very Son of God who is dying, and how he dies and what he does shows his priority. Verse 27 says, From that hour the disciple took Mary into his own household. John 13, 1 says, Knowing that his hour had come there had to be something in jesus being fully man as we talked about at revival in some of those services fully man that there on the cross dying there had to be the pull of family with his mother there 
with all of his disciples scattered, there had to be the pull of, if I stayed, I could pull them together. They're just racing and running. There had to be the natural pull for, for family and for friends, but Jesus never chooses what is good. He chooses what is perfect and holy and best. And for him, that's the cross. And listen, we, we can scramble doing things that we think are good. But we find in the cross, in Mary's story, is Jesus will only choose what is perfect and holy and best. We are bombarded with all kinds of pulls in our life and temptations in our life to choose things that are, that are even great. But are they the perfect will of God? A word you find throughout John's gospel is Jesus surrendering to the will and the work that he was given. What is perfect, what is holy, what is best. We see that priority in Jesus' life, even in the face of dying with his mother present. The second word would be provision. We watch Jesus here on the cross caring for his mom. Now, he would have had to have done that. Being in our understanding in the Protestant faith, Jesus being the, the firstborn of her family, that would have been his responsibility. And so Jesus takes up this responsibility of providing for his mom. Now listen, in our culture sometimes family, sometimes we can, we can place family above what is best, but we can never honor God fully if we don't honor our families, okay? And you see Jesus doing that here. We never honor God well if we don't honor our families well. He provides for her. And we're going to talk in just a minute about why he does that as well, besides just being obedient uh, to do that. His care for her provision. We said two weeks ago, these women, these women are, are weeping, and Jesus should receive that weeping. He's going to his cross for them, and instead, what does he do? Oh, don't weep for me. You weep for yourselves, and you weep for your children. Here in this moment, where, where all of us would have turned inward and said, why me for them? You see Jesus' self-giving love pouring out on the cross. Provide for my mom. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You can be with me in paradise. The self-giving, providing love of Jesus put on display. Are we trusting Jesus with his provision in our life? It's a real check. Am I grasping and scrambling to get things the way I want? Or am I really trusting the Lord that he has me where he wants me and I'm just going to trust that he's going to provide? Whether that's spiritual, emotional, financial, I'm just trusting here is his loving care for his mom, and he does the same for his children. And then the third word is pain. You see here in the life of Jesus, he doesn't shield even his loved ones. Even Mary is not shielded from hurt and from loss and from pain. Jesus could have divinely ordered that she wouldn't be there. He could have said, take her to the side. And one of my disciples will take her and put her off to the side so she doesn't have to see i don't understand that it's a mystery to me why those that jesus loved and we'll we'll talk about that more why they struggle and why they suffer and pretty much everybody who follows jesus does 
It's what Jesus promises us. If we are in this world, not of it, but if we're in this world, there will be struggles and there will be hurts and there will be pain. Jesus will be enough for us in that, but he doesn't shield us from real life. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't care because ultimately he's caring on the cross. What he is doing for them will someday fully redeem their suffering. But it's a real real reminder to us when we struggle. Anybody been there this week? When you struggle, when you watch somebody you love hurt, doesn't mean that Jesus is not present. It doesn't mean that he does not love. Even here, those who have watched, Mary who has said, the first one to say yes to him on his own terms. And she's watching him die, fully exposed, mocked. She's not shielded from that, but he's shielding her soul with what he's doing for her on the cross. Because we struggle, because we have pain, it does not mean that God does not love or that God is not present with us. So much more we could say about what Mary's witness says to us about Jesus. But but what does she say to us in her model? What do we see here in just these few verses in her life that, that say to us, Christian, this is what you are to be. This is your response to the cross bearer. This is Mary's response. This is your response. First is she risked for the kingdom. If you're following along in your notes, she risked for the kingdom. To be there, to be present at the cross would have been a risk for her. She's been doing this all along. A young girl from a town of maybe 80 to 400 people, do you know all that she risked when she said yes to the Holy Spirit blessing her with Jesus in the first place? The town gossip? Maybe being booted out of the synagogue? What was going to happen with her? Look, when Dr. Sandy Richter's right on the money when she says, we think we understand family, You have no idea the tight-knit nature of family in this culture and time. And to be punted out of that. If I say yes to Jesus, mom and dad might punt me out and nobody from my town or my synagogue or my family will help me. Even the risk of death. As they tried to take Jesus and throw him off and kill him in Nazareth years later, Mary could have been before that. And she says, yes, I risk for Jesus It's a great reminder to us of what our lives are to be. Lives that will risk for the kingdom. Now why can she she do that? And it's the next point. She trusts the king and the kingdom. She trusts the kingdom. Listen, we live in a culture where we're having record rates of, of prescribed antacids and sedatives. That's just where we live. We're in a busy frenetically paced culture where our work demands more than ever maybe in some ways family demands more than ever we're burning the candle at both ends and Mary just like maybe our culture should have been and could have been riddled with anxiety but here we find her we've always found her trusting the kingdom go back to the birth story in Luke chapter 2 now God has visited her with an angel God has gifted her the responsibility or ushering in the very son of god for the redemption of the world they have the birth and all the nervousness would god provide god provides they present him to jerusalem days of purification are over 
And I wonder if in her life there was this moment. Jesus is here. God has provided. And all of a sudden, this man who's in the temple, who's been waiting because God has told him, you will see the Lord's anointed, he takes Jesus up in his arms and and begins to say, or as we said back in January, maybe even begins to sing about who Jesus is, a light to the Gentiles. And he's the glory of his people Israel. This child. And then he doesn't turn to Joseph. Scripture says he turns to Mary. And he says, he's going to pierce your soul. Mary, your heart is going to be crushed because of this one. But she's trusting. From that day until three decades later, till this day, trusting the king and his kingdom with her very life she risks then and she risks now it's a beautiful picture of a life yielded to jesus a long season of saying yes to jesus now listen this is part of jesus's provision to her the brothers we we understand are not believing at this point james jude or really judas the brother brothers of jesus And so for him to provide for her to say, the one I love, this disciple's going to take care of you, that's part of Jesus' provision for her because the kids don't understand. It's his responsibility. And here it is, Mary yielding to that, trusting again in Jesus' last moments to be under this one's household because of Jesus' provision for her. So from day one until 30 plus years later, we find a life of yielding, of submission, of trust and belief can you imagine when jesus leaves for his public ministry for three years what is it that james or jude whispered to mary being unbelieving about jesus and her knowing holding in her heart what the angels has told to her about who jesus is but having to go through that and that struggle of people doubting and wondering she still trusts the king and she trusts the kingdom. And I wonder who's whispering in your ear this week. And what God's calling you to do and what God's calling you to be, and you're going to press through those feelings and say, I trust my king and I trust his kingdom. When people around you might lack faith, people you love, people close to you, family and friends, who might subtly just kind of nudge you or wonder why you live like you live or give like you give or volunteer like you serve. You're going to press through that and you're going to say, I trust the king and I trust the kingdom. How do you need to hear that this week? And then on that third point about uh, Jesus, when he talked, when we see in his life that he doesn't spare us for pain, that's, that's the truth and reality of this passage. She suffers for the kingdom. As, he, as she was told by Simeon, you will, you will be crushed in your heart. You will be pierced in your very soul. That's what it is when you and I follow the kingdom. We've got to be willing to lose. That is the most drastic thing you could lose, and that's a child. But, but could you say to a child who comes to you, and I've bumped into so many preachers where parents won't let them go. I think I have a call in my life. Does somebody have a call in your life today for set-apart ministry, for ordained ministry? 
And parents can say, no, I don't want that for you. Could you hold back and not say, I'm, I'm trusting the kingdom? When you and I live well for the kingdom, uh, there's always going to be, as you see it here with Mary, suffering and loss. It's always a struggle. Um, think about Mary at this point, too. The hurt of being at that cross and wondering, Peter, you pulled out a sword just hours ago. Where are you now? He called you. You were named the sons of thunder. Going to call fire down from the sky on Samaritans. Where are you now, James and John? Thomas, let me just let me get this right. A few days ago, you said, let's go and die with him. Where are you now? It's not just the physical suffering of Christ. It's not just the exposure of Christ and embarrassing her boy to the world. We'll never fully understand the emotional struggle of Christ on the cross, of being betrayed by all. They all ran. And of that mother who took it on the chin and loses and suffers for the kingdom. Where is that for you? Where is that for me? Well, we will say it's the kingdom first. I didn't ask permission for this, so I'll be in trouble. But Sarah and I had an anniversary last week. And um, I'm thinking back the year before we got married, I had written her several songs, okay? And I told this at one of our Bible studies and to a few of you, but I had written her several songs when I was in college. Those CDs are still available. And um, <laughs> a whole stack of them. I was looking forward to selling my first one. Uh, but... Uh, and even, as a matter of fact, the first time I told her I loved her, put out a blanket under the stars, and I had written this song that the chorus would say, and I've been waiting so long to say, and then it would go into the next verse, and then the chorus would come up, and I've been waiting to say, and then it would go into the next verse, and finally at the last verse, the, I mean the last chorus, it says, and I've been waiting to say, I love you. That's what she said, right? That's exactly what she said. Nothing. I got nothing from that. I sang this beautiful song, I thought, and just gave her my heart. I love you. That's nice. Yeah. So then I had written her a bunch of other songs, right? And so we, we, we have this concert at Bellhaven. Back then it was Bellhaven College. And, uh, and we were to be the first band to rock with drums and stuff allowed on the campus. And so I'd written her all these songs. And the day before that concert, she broke up with me. Now all of my friends were coming to this show. All her friends were there. And so I look at the set list that my friends produced, and it was every song I'd written to her that the band played was on that set list. So I just got up there, gritted my teeth, sang these songs. She was crying because of the quality of the songs. But... Uh, <laughs> got through that night, broke up with me. I mean, she came crawling back, you know. <laughs> I'll pay for that one. <laughs> now, you want to know why she broke up with me? Put your hands down. I'm sorry. Ooh, I know, I know. <laughs> Kingdom. Kingdom. 
she was praying through, am I supposed to go back to Brazil and be a missionary? I did not have that call in my life as I had felt called my senior year of high school to pastoral ministry and uh, possibly student ministry. And I did several years of student ministry in several years. And we still pray together. Matter of fact, three or four years ago, we were given an opportunity to pray about doing mission ministry in Brazil. And we prayed through that and didn't feel it was the Lord's season. But she felt a call that could there be more in Brazil? I did not have that call. There was no reason then for us to date. Just no reason. Why? Because it's kingdom first. It's not me first. It's kingdom first. And sometimes when we say yes to the kingdom, that means we lose. Sometimes that means when we say yes to the kingdom, we suffer. Ultimately, it's in him, and so it's best, and we trust him with him, and he'll bless us through it. But whatever that decision is, whatever that calling is, whatever that, whatever that life choice is, We see in Mary's story, if it's loss, if it's suffering, it's yours. It's kingdom first. She suffers for the kingdom. You can't candy coat that. But she does it. She trusts the king and the kingdom. How is it you need to trust more? She suffers for the kingdom and she loses. That doesn't mean that Jesus does not care. She risked for the kingdom. Where is it in your life? that you need to risk for the king and for his kingdom. Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this season where you're seeing more and more of your heart for us on the cross. We're also seeing your call upon our lives through the cross because of the cross. Lord Jesus, help us to pick what is best, not what is good, but what is best, perfect and holy. Help us to trust you and your provision. And even when it hurts, uh, may we be found faithful to risk for you. And it is in the name of your son, uh, your, your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.